let's uh, ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for this body of believers, uh, our interest in your word, our lives um, being held up before it. We'd ask that uh, the prophet Isaiah would be of real benefit to us this morning. In your son's name, amen. Now part of the reason, you know, certain things trigger sermon ideas. And uh, Friday night we had Wine, Wisdom, and Song, and afterwards uh, Betsy and I were talking on the porch, and she had a question about Isaiah 49, which is not the passage in Isaiah we're going through. But that, you know, sort of sits in your mind as you talk about certain things in Isaiah. And, and then Leslie had been in a conversation with a friend of hers about some people who needed to not be the way they were. And I was thinking, Leslie related that to me, and I said, you know, this is a basic, a basic problem. And a verse sprang to my mind that, that I recalled. I'll tell you what verse later. So this morning, as I soaked in the tub, I said, that verse, I wonder if a sermon about that verse, if there's enough context around that verse. I wonder where that verse is. So when I got dressed, got down to the basement, I first did a quick search on the RSV at the University of Michigan site, and it was Isaiah 5. So I was reading through Isaiah 5. I said, this is a great chapter. So that's what we're doing this morning. That's how you got to this point. Besides the constant wandering in and out, spilling hot cocoa in the foyer, um, who knows, there are probably still people wandering around the halls of this church. But background, coming up to Isaiah 5, <clears throat> if you look back in 3, about starting with chapter 2 through 4, there is this prophetic stance that Isaiah is taking that isn't looking good for Israel. And he keeps repeating the phrase, in that day, in that day, in that day, back in verse chapter 4, right before uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 2, it says, in that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful. Now he's basically holding out this positive and this negative for in that day. And then he jumps into chapter chapter 5 with a let me sing for my beloved a love song concerning his vineyard. It's sort of a strange kind of metaphoric romance thing going on here. But he, it, it probably gets everybody's attention. Let me sing for my beloved a love song concerning his vineyard. Now, knowing that God's judgment is coming from the chapters immediately prior in that day. This love song for the beloved is almost, uh, well, it's not cynical so much as it's, you're expecting it to be a bittersweet love song. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He digged it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. That's the image. My boyfriend started a business. It failed. He really wanted to sell this, whatever it is he designed. He designed an app for put, connecting people and families and turns out only terrorists used it in the Middle East. He wanted to grow grapes, beneficial grapes, he just got wild grapes. Now this image is, is you're familiar with this image of God or Christ as hus in husbandry terms, not uh, agricultural 
um, olive trees and Romans uh, grafting people in and out, you know, uh, the, 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 the whole image is a very uh, handy one in an ancient society where agriculture is right at your hand for anything, you have no safe way, you have to actually have a, a wine press or a, a threshing floor, you had to, um, had to be doing this. People understood how important it was that harvests give you what you worked for. A lot of us would be a little bit off-put by the idea of a job that only paid in one lump sum around October. That you had to work all year trusting that it was accruing to your good, that all the profits the company was going to make was finally going to give you a paycheck that would last you the whole year in October. Farmers deal with that all the time. Well, his beloved you could probably put God in that position, making this vineyard husbanding this vineyard and the vineyard's not turning out. Now you don't want to get in and say, is God just not very good at farming? Well the difficulty is with a difference you might say where the metaphor breaks down, the illustration breaks down is vines don't think for themselves nor do they decide for themselves but vineyards here and now O inhabitants of Jerusalem verse 3 and men of Judah judge. I pray you between me and my vineyard what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, and behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, and behold, a cry. That's a very, very poetic moment. Great little song, kind of tragic, didn't turn out. You know, there's a point to this. Those of us who have a yard know what it is to look at a piece of ground that, that has failed us in the yard. No matter what you do to it. You can pour fertilizer on it, you can get extra compost in it prune things back so that sun would get to it and it still acts like it is Jerusalem. We still have hope, you know, the north side of our house this summer after 35 years Leslie and I went out there and spent a week trying to fight futility and we still have hope. But this not working out bothers the Lord. I don't think it bothers any of us. I mean, when you have blight, when you don't know what you're looking at or why did it choose to not produce what you thought it should produce. I wanted grapes, you gave me wild grapes. He wants to plow it under. Men have this ability of roundup. And that's what you think. You always keep that in the back of your mind. There's always Roundup. And not watered down Roundup. Something that just would kill a sequoia. You get out there and, and you feel so good as you watch, no matter what it was, just drying up. I don't care if it was a beneficial plant. I don't care if it was a cucumber. I don't care if it was strawberries. You wanted it dead. And it died. Especially like they promised that on the side of the canister. Where you will see signs of something within a day. And you almost get out of bed early in the morning to run outside and look at that. Giving it up. 
because you want to kill it. You want to give that portion of those parts of my yard. I, I just want to. I just want to just lay waste to Sherman's March to the Sea. It's going to be awful. So I could go back in and replant. I don't know Samaritans. Because it didn't produce what I wanted. I didn't, couldn't look out to my yard and go, yes, an Arcadia. Now it bothers God, and, and the image is, okay, you're not producing, you're not bearing fruit the way you're supposed to. Well, what's so bad about wild grapes? This is what's bad about wild grapes. He has, and I have bolded them down through the passage, a number of woe to those. Kind of like Jesus does in dealing with the Pharisees. Woe to the Pharisees, scribes, hypocrites. This is a woe to those list. You know, it's got, it's got some interest to it. Now, if, I don't know if it was last Sunday or the Sunday before, Sunday before I was gone, wasn't I? Sometime recently, preaching out of, I believe, Corinthians, and uh, we're talking about the passage uh, we are not to judge those outside the churches and not those inside the church whom we are to judge now we have a society at large that is failing is, is stepping into the woe to those camp in a big way but America is not God's chosen people it is not supposed to be the Christian church Israel was supposed to be the people of God they failed God miserably God wants his church to judge itself so as we are looking, and I think it's fine and good for Christians to be involved in civic uh, interests and try to help out the society, but we've got to always make sure that the righteousness we are recommending to the non-believer on either Planned Parenthood or gay marriage or whatever it is you think is driving us down into Sodom, um, that you have already taken care of the righteousness that that you're supposed to be producing. The Christian is supposed to be faithful, and we're not to judge those outside the church. God judges those outside. It's not because they're being good, it's because they're being bad, but we're not the judge. God's the judge. So for us today, I want you to be thinking primarily not of the society out there that drives fast cars and dates loose women, but Christians. What is the household of faith like? Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field. What in the world? What's wrong with that? Join house to house. You ever look at your neighbor's yard and go, yeah, I should probably buy that if it's ever up for sale. Make my yard a little bigger. There's never enough yard. Glenda's patting Brian on the shoulder. I want to do it. I want to own the whole block. Then I want to put a wall around it. And you'd have to know the password. But what's the problem here? It's not like Jesus does not like real estate investment. Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field until there is no more room, and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. What happens here? We all have this desire. You've heard me go on about the extension of will. That's what our self is. We, we want to have all these ways of expressing the extension of our will because that's the nature of self. We do it in empires. We do it in yards. We do it in an argument over a philosophy. We want to extend our will. We love, as we said, motorcycles and stick shifts because the extension of our will is direct. It's a good feeling. But with all good feelings that God has given us, it can become inordinate so that here is a situation where someone following their desire that more area be under their sway until there's no more room and everybody is alone they are so set back they no longer have the other goods they have given up society for the sake of boundaries set far out from them I shouldn't say boundaries. I guess that's a, been a trend term in Christian circles. You know boundaries. 
I have boundaries, you cross my boundaries. I hate that. I don't like that term. It's borders. It's the line in the dirt where you look at it and say, don't step over that. That's my stuff. So you're thinking of borders. Have you worshipped the idea of expressing yourself in your possession so much that everything else that is human, everything else, the nature of society, the nature of a town, the nature of having a neighbor even, is denied you. You become alone in your own kingdom. That's not the purpose of this desire. The Lord of hosts has sworn in my hearing, surely many houses shall be desolate, large and beautiful houses without inhabitant. For ten acres of vineyard shall yield but one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield but an ephah. Basically saying, that world does not produce. When the Lord made woman, he said, it is not good that man should be alone. We're also societal in other ways. One of the great things about the church, not this church, well, it's a great thing about you guys. We love each other. We want to be with each other. We recognize the benefit acutely as human beings when we find the church. When we have that extra desire of love for the brethren, but like you would get together with your friends, like you would get together with your family or the rotary or whatever else you belong to. We get together with the church because we have shared this experience of the gospel. We begin to realize the productiveness that is given to us in that. The gain that the fellowship of the saints, you are open to correction, you're open to be a benefit, exhortation, edification, things that exist in communion, not in community, by the way, in communion, that you lose when you give yourself to a desire that's expansive, expanding you. That's what this is, uh, th that your fiefdom become the thing you live for, gain for gain's sake. Where you weep for there are no more worlds to conquer, no more yards to buy. Woe to those who rise early in the morning so there's your verse if you want to correct somebody in your family. What are you doing getting up at five? Woe to those who rise early in the morning. No, that they may run after strong drink. And who tarry late. Morning people, night people. If it's booze people, it's a problem. Who tarry late into the evening until wine inflames them. They have lyre and harp and timbrel and flute and wine at their feast. You know, you say, Evan, I've been to your parties. There's men out on the porch smoking cigars. Women inside tasting the wines. Aren't you uh, condemning yourself here a bit? Well, that could be. Just because I have a party doesn't mean I'm innocent because I'm the bish. It's describing something. Just like it's legitimate for you to buy a piece of property because you want to possess an area in which you hold sway. Same reason we just because I want to get married because women are really, 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 really good looking. What's the reference? Ridiculously good looking. Zoolander, my son's got it right. We have desires that we answer, but it's the inordinate level of pursuit of them. Look at what happens here. The person gets up early in the morning and has a beer in their hand. I've been to a family reunion recently. Not only was it a beer in hand early in the morning, always covered with a thermal jacket so you couldn't read bush light on the outside. Not because they were ashamed that it was bush light, by the way. That's the Northwest thing, you know. You're drinking what? But because it was morning. It was already. Coolers were out. Beer was out. Now there's nothing sinful. Nobody was drunk. Nobody had sinned. What's, what, where in the Bible does it say, look at your watch 
Now, you see, how many of you have this basic rule societally? You know, to have a drink before noon would really be well, not even who's a, who's who, who are the wine lovers here? Not even those ladies would be drinking before. I, I go out with my wife for lunch sometimes, and she says, "Are you going to have a beer?" And I think about that. You know, a little too early to have a beer because it's going to destroy the rest of the day. You can't really think. Uh, with a lot of clarity, or you don't care to think with a lot of clarity. Is it, does the Bible really say? And, did, and you've been in these discussions. Okay, what is it? Is it? It's the drunk thing, isn't it? It's the drunkenness thing. Well, does not mention, I believe, drunkenness? Well, it inflames them. I suppose that might be qualified. The problem is, they have all these instruments. Oh, this is a verse against instruments. Lyre, harps, timbrels, and flutes are banned for Christians. Harmonicas, banjos are fine because we're white trash. No, it's not banning those things. It's not even banning the wine. What is it in red? But they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the work of his hands. What we have is a problem with people you get to know. They're fun Christians. They have parties. They only have parties. Conversation is only a party. Even if they never talk about anything wrong. They're not talking about immorality. They're not talking about cheating their neighbor. They're not talking about planning a murder. They're just talking and none of them are interested in the deeds of the Lord. Leslie asked me a few years ago about a friend of ours that we had, we had lived with and things went cattywampus in this person's life and, and she, Leslie said, did you get any clue of this before it happened? So, well, this person never talked about the Lord. Positive, negative, insight, word of God, nothing. Talk about philosophy, talk about society, talk about interesting things, talk about literature. I like talking about literature because we pronounce it literature, not literature. I'm not from Missouri. Literature. And so I, I was had been in many ways entertained by this person. This person was pleasant, talked about interesting things, but none of it was God. The problem is not that you enjoy a drink. The problem is not that somebody gets their lyre or timbrel out and you say, ah, Isaiah 5. We don't ban certain instruments because of this verse. We don't ban the wine or the strong drink, the enjoyment of a party. But when a person measures their life, their life is measured from early morning to late in the evening by fun. And they always look at you and say, the Bible doesn't say this is wrong. The Bible doesn't tell you what time you can start drinking. I'm never drunk, so what's the problem? I'm not drunk, because I got a verse. They got a verse. Their mom told them a verse about drinking to the point of drunkenness. Do not be drunk with wine. But just like here, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. They want to be sure they obey all the restrictive rules of Christianity and they don't realize that the vineyard God is trying to get fruit out of doesn't want wild grapes. He wants productive grapes. You have to regard the deeds of the Lord. You don't just get to stand in the rank of the Christians and say, here I am in the vineyard, because vineyards can go bad. Therefore my people go into exile for want of knowledge. Because we didn't know. What do you know? About the word of God. As I, when I get my father up in the morning, I think it's good fellowship, and we were talking, I mentioned this to you before, but he has noticed a huge 
decay in the believing church of pursuit of the Word of God. Everybody has to, everybody has to maybe read a current self-help Christian thing, or they get on board with the current whatever the lingo is about certain ways of thinking, but nobody is building their thought on the words and deeds of the Lord, and for want of knowledge, they're going to wonder why they're dragged off into exile. Their honored men are dying of hunger, and their multitude is parched with thirst. Therefore Sheol has enlarged its appetite and opened its mouth beyond measure, and the nobility of Jerusalem and her multitude go down, her throng, and he who exults in her. Man is bowed down, and men are brought low. And the eyes of the haughty are humbled, but the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice, and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. So even, so even when this is all this calamity is coming upon the vineyard of God, God is the agent of the calamity. And he says, I would rather walk free of this vineyard, still being the God of justice and still being the God of righteousness. Even though it surprises the Christians, surprises Israel considerably. And there's a promise, there's a loophole, there's something coming out the other side when he says, Then shall the lambs graze as in their pasture, fatlings and kids shall feed among the ruins. And in the destruction, ever notice how sometimes when things start to get bad for the church and people start agreeing with the world more in the church, Yeah, I don't want to disagree with the world over here because I might get cut off from the popular kids. And you say to yourself, yeah, it's probably good. You know, it'd be great if persecution rose against the church because that'd that'd leave the real church behind. Yeah, it probably would. Probably would. You want to make sure that you're in that group, that one of the fatlings, one of the lambs, but it's going to be in ruins. God does not give up his idea of justice and his idea of righteousness merely because we're moderns now and we've got smartphones. What's the next woe to those? Verse 18. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes. But that doesn't. What? Here we go. Okay, draw iniquity with cords of falsehood. Cart ropes. You're, you're pulling something along. A, an iniquity, a sin. And then it explains what it looks like. Who say, verse 19, let him make haste, let him speed his work that we may see it. Let the purpose of the Holy One of Israel draw near, and let it come that we may know it. What? What's the falsehood there? This is really present in the church. Everybody, they live as if God is the federal government and all of the benefits. They talk about grace, they talk about forgiveness, they talk about God understanding, God is, you know, God isn't finished with me yet. All the things he, you know, Lord, oh, give me peace, give me this, give me that. Give me faith. Like what the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. He said, if you had faith the side of a grain of mustard seed, you could say to that mountain, get thee into the sea, and it would do it. But you aren't doing what you were told. The falsehood here is sometimes the religious man acts very religious in that he waits on the Lord. The falsehood here, the iniquity, the sin is, I'm waiting for God to do something. God to show himself. If God can't show himself, this could be everything from an agnostic or an atheist who says, you know, uh, I will believe if God appears on this stage with me right now. God could do that. And if he wants me to believe, he'll appear on this. You know, they could, that kind of nonsensical demand, testing God. But whatever the case, that that range of action where people are expecting God to do. Well, God has the power, right? 
God has a lot of power. God is happy to serve and be a benefit to those who have given not only a request that they're waiting for him to do something for them, but they've shown up for the work of the believer. They don't withhold faith from God because, not how many people, your friends of yours, no doubt. Well, my Aunt Betty, she got cancer and I prayed and God didn't heal her. A friend of um, Andrew Bates was talking to me a few months ago about a couple, three friends of his. I think I mentioned this in church. Two of the guys, one guy's mother died suddenly. The two other friends got together to talk about how to help their friend get through this hard time of his mother dying. And while they were together, news came that one of their mothers had died the same day. The third guy denied God. The conceit is remarkable. Oh, I don't doubt it's kind of sad to have your friends lose their mom. But the conceit, the presumption that the living God shows up in his plan and history, who has the right of life of everything in this cosmos, because your feelings are hurt when your mom dies or somebody else's mom dies, he doesn't exist because he did not make the creation fit every expectation I had. Who does that make God? You. And you're not. You're not even close. Elvis is a greater God than you. Okay? Now I have a prediction. I just want to say it here as a not a prophet. I believe in centuries to come that Elvis really will not in the heavens but really will have a religion. Now you're not into Elvis now but you know give the south a few centuries. Graceland will be well, Graceland. So Elvis is a greater God than you. I think most of you are greater than Michael Jackson but you know Alexander was greater God than you. I mean, people have been a lot bigger than you. And you are drawing a line in the sand for God to pony up with what he is supposed to show up with. You've heard me say in recent months about the nature of theodicy. I mentioned to Jake uh, Colleen a a couple of nights ago about the, the word for anthropodicy. The theodicy is where you, God, why did he do this? Anthropodicy is, man, why did you do this? That's the real problem. We all live to excuse every bit of sin that exists in the world by our philosophy of how we live. I get to do what I want to do when I want to do it. He doesn't get to do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. No, but you just said that, no, because I'm God. Who do you serve? Verse 20. Woe to those... This is the verse that stuck stuck out at me. That's why it's the memorable. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That came from the conversation my wife had with a friend of hers about another person who was acting in such a way that you thought that the shame, the absolute shame of their wickedness would be evident to them of all people that they were trotting out a behavior, these were Christians, a behavior that you could look at them and go, do you do know you are very wicked because they thought they were being virtuous. You've done that, right? Last time you were angry at somebody? When you weren't loving? When you weren't joyful? When you weren't peaceful? When you weren't patient? When you weren't kind? You were sinning in your mind, wanting to take revenge on the person emotionally. And it was wicked, and you thought it was righteous. And you thought this verse would be great for dealing with the poofters. Well, they're trying to call sexual sin, homosexual sexual sin, righteous. 
Well, and we're, we don't woe to those who call good evil evil good. We're doing it all the time here. We walk out in front of others with looks on our face that give it away to everyone that we're not in good terms with our husband, wife, children, workers, whatever it is. We're not feeling, thinking Christian thoughts and we think we are virtuous. We have called evil good. Woe to those. And we don't even know how wicked it sounds. One of the reasons we go into exile for want of knowledge, we don't spend our time looking at Corinthians 13 and reading what love is. And what you're supposed to owe to God is love for him. And then the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And most of all, you're going to love the brethren. And it tells you what love is. is not insisting on your own way. It's patient and it's kind. And you are not patient and you are not kind. And you still think you're a good person. You call evil good. Use the word wicked for yourself. Do I realize how wicked I am? Because somehow you've got to be brought to confession. Somehow you've got to be brought back to the Word of God. Not, remember, the, uh, the wild grapes are kind of like grapes. Can't do a lot with them. But nowadays, and I say this a little bit later, we've redefined what the church is and what Christianity is supposed to crank out. It was supposed to crank out wild grapes. That's what they think the church is for. You know, it's for broken people. Now it's for righteous people, you dummy. It's supposed to make people righteous. Conform people to the image of Christ. Present them mature in Christ. It is not for broken people. Broken people are supposed to come to get fixed. Not to be broken together. Not to expect everybody to nod and understand oh you've been through a lot you know, say you know that's wicked don't do that anymore sin shall have no dominion over you for you're not under law you're under grace woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight now what what is the, what is, it's not woe to those who are wise. Wise in their own eyes. Why is that a problem? Did Jesus not know he was wise? Well, he knew he was wise. Solomon knew he was wise. But what's the phrase, in his own eyes, or in their own sight? What's wrong with that? There's a prejudicial nature to it. You think because you thunk it, it's wise. And because you thunk a wise thing, you are wise. You think because you thunk it or you did it, it was shrewd. Not because it turned out good for you, but because you did it. You thought it. In the postmodern mind, where there is no objective truth, everybody thinks that if a, some notion ricochets through their cranium and out their mouth, it is just as good reason as Socrates or Aristotle. They think because they thought it, it's reason. Well, who's to tell what's really true? So when you stop to say, my thoughts are good because I thought them, the prejudice that you give yourself, in a positive sense, not, not the prejudice of, of, of discrimination in, in the 1950s in Alabama, but the prejudice of you for you. Is it wise because it came out of your mouth? Do you want wisdom and you don't care where it comes from? Or do you want wisdom that it comes out of your own mouth and only your own mouth? Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine. This is a great verse. You want to keep. This is a college town. Who are heroes at drinking wine? Heroes. Remember when? Well, I forget which basketball player uh, ended up with AIDS because he'd slept with like 2,500 women. Who was it? Magic Johnson. I gotta remember that. Okay, you are slime, sir. And everybody else. Oh, you're such a hero. 
You're a hero. Yeah. A disease-ridden plague dog sleeping through countless beds. And somehow, because he admitted he got caught by getting sick, he was a hero. He doesn't really have it, though, does he? Has it disappeared from him? He has a lot of money. Heroes at drinking wine. Valiant men at mixing strong drink. What was that? Wasn't there a movie with Tom Cruise years ago? What was it called? Where was it? Bartenders, you know. And they were all, you know, doing valiant things with their mixology. God did not make alcohol for mixed drinks, folks. If you want to be a man, you don't drink mixed drinks. Those are for women. A little umbrella on the side. Because women don't like the alcohol. Heroes. Valiant. What's the problem? Is there anything really wrong with, a, with having a drink of wine? Or even having... Is this a verse against going to a bar and ordering whatever... Unless it's a, one of those drinks that have a dirty name. It's a way of thinking, right? The, this is your heroism? This is, this is your greatness? You're a lot of fun. What do people think when they think of you? I was watching briefly at a news channel on in the background. Somebody was interviewing various, the multitude of Republican candidates and asking questions about the other candidates. First word that comes to your mind when you think of, and they would give them names. It was interesting. What's the first word that you think of? You know, somebody said Marco Rubio. And the other guy said, young. Ooh. You know, damning with faint praise. What do they say when they mention your name? What is your reputation? What's your resume? You know, what's the... Oh, they're really, they're really fun, man. Love having them at a party. They can mix so many drinks. Oh, Really? Nothing in the Bible that says you can't know how to mix a drink. When your reputation is as the valiant man of mixed drinks, when you are the hero at the wine, I do have, my wife likes wine. And I have to remind our family regularly that we don't want to be known for that. Don't want to be known for how much you love wine. Love wine. Thank God for it. That's an inordinate existence. You have the wrong thing too strong in your life. Woe to to those, verse 23, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Now, People who take bribes, this sounds like a judge, something like that. People who take bribes, are they just really rotten people? I mean, really rotten people that enjoy upending justice. Oh man, here's a dear little mother doing a small claims against her landlord. She's a single mom. All she wants is 50 bucks so she can buy formula for her baby. I just enjoy destroying her life. Does that what motivates somebody? No. It was the $3,000 the defendant offered him to do that. He wanted to not think about what he was really doing because he was thinking so much about the money. The inordinate nature. Is there anything wrong with money? Having some money. I like money. I was, a, I was counseling a guy yesterday, long-term distance. I did never met him, don't know him. A successful man. And he mentioned just how successful. My eyes were bugging out of my head. And I wanted to suddenly develop a real strong view of donation fundraising. But I didn't. Money. Mmm. Tasty. 
How much do you love it? Is it inordinate? Do you rejoice? The Bible says it answers everything. Any problem you have, throw money at it. And it's fixed. Will you adjust what is right for it? Think about it. Don't jump. Of course not. What do you think I am? Well, a cad. That's what I think you are. Would you adjust what is right? Would you say something differently? Just slightly. Just not, did not be bribed to a subvert justice, but a friend of yours donates to your ministry $10,000 and then asks you to write a recommendation for their somebody that's dear to them that you know is really not equipped for the job but you write it because of the $10,000. Just don't mention the bad things you know. Do you subvert what is right for money? Is it inordinate in you? Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble and as dry grass sinks down into the flame, so their root will be rottenness and their blossom go up like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Rejected, despised, want of knowledge, did not regard the deeds of the Lord, did not see the work of His hands, and this all, this vineyard is going down in flames. Every aspect of the plant is not going to hold up. We have redesigned and defined what the church is. And for centuries we've looked the other way at all the sins the church has committed. And all the sinners that have run it. Do you seek the living God? Do you seek the people that follow the living God? Not the ones that claim to be. We've got the steeple, we've got the pointy windows. We're claiming to be something. Are we something? Are we following Him? Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against His people, and He stretched out His hand against them and smote them. I've always wanted to use the word smote in a sentence. So work something up for me so I can say, and the Lord smote you. The Lord smite you. Smote. And the mountains quaked, and their corpses were as refuse in the midst of the streets. For all this, his anger is not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. You have to realize that God is a gardener, and he had intentions for the vineyard. Isaiah wanted to sing a love song where the, where his, 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 the boyfriend was coming to, to make a nice vineyard and he did all these things and made a watchtower and a well and a and he got wild grapes. It's not just sad. He's really, really upset. Have you sought the Word of God? Have you listened to the Word of God? Have you obeyed the word of God? That's the measure. That's what faith is. Remember in the illustration of the olive trees in Romans, you are grafted in because of faith. Faith is believing what it is said by the living God. And faith without works, as you know, is dead. You live what you would acknowledge. You learn it. You acknowledge it. What does it say? Do you believe what it says? Will you do what it says? Not waiting for God to do something for you or to find the right group that entertains you enough that you'll still call yourself a Christian. That ties in with enough of your, your notions of the world. Says enough of the things you like to hear. Have you obeyed Him? It's that of the Babylonians. I love this description. Babylon's the one who takes them into captivity. You know, uh, 605 for at least the initial part of the uh, um, ex uh, exile but militarily they come in in 597 but here look at this when it says his hand is stretched out still verse 26 he will raise a signal for a nation afar off and whistle for it from the ends of the earth you can see God standing by his vineyard whistling saying alright Babylon 
Come on in and listen to this. Listen to how they are. And lo, swiftly, speedily it comes. None is weary. None stumbles. None slumbers or sleeps. Not a waist cloth is loose. Not a sandal thong broken. Their arrows are sharp. All their bows bent. Their horses' hooves seem like flint. And their wheels like the whirlwind. You can picture this ancient army. Isaiah is saying, these guys are sharp. These are like marines. No, no, I don't want to compare the Babylonians to the marines. But you know what it's like. I grew up with military marches. You go to see an honor guard. You go to see not some ROTC situation where it's they're uniformed and they're in step, but it's not sharp. You go to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, it's sharp. That's what's coming across the earth. Guys, all of their waistcoats match. Everything is tight. Everything's in step. Everything's coming at you. Their roaring is like a lion. Like young lions they roar. They growl and seize their prey. They carry it off and none can rescue. They will growl over it on that day like the roaring of the sea. And if one look to the land, behold darkness and distress and the light is darkened by its clouds. He's not just burning this vineyard. He's burning it to the ground. It really is laying waste like Sherman's march to the sea. This is the Nebuchadnezzar's march to the sea. And that was what was going to come. Because people did not acknowledge the deeds of the Lord. They had rejected the law of the Lord. They despised the word of the Holy One. It's always the case. It's like we're a religion. We have a God we please. We need to look at what will please Him. Let's thank Him. Dear Lord, we're grateful. For all this good, this message, this word that we can look to. Setting ourselves aside, we'd ask that you would not let us call good evil and evil good. In your son's name, amen.